We're continuing with our studies in Luke. One day, if if the Lord Jesus Christ delays, one day we'll get to my first reading, which was uh, Luke chapter 19. But for the time being, we're still in Luke chapter 5. This morning, we're going to consider the calling of Matthew, calling of the Apostle Matthew. And we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through to 32. It's not a big passage. We'll have a look at it now. We'll read verses 27 through to 32. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink? with publicans and sinners. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there we have it. The man named Levi we're told in Matthew's Gospel that he is Matthew. You're probably more familiar with the name Matthew. At the time that he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ, we're given his name as being Levi. He was a publican, a tax collector, sitting at his tax booth, his tax office, collecting taxes of people. They weren't popular people. I, I guess no one particularly is overly fond of uh, the tax man or the tax person. But uh, there was good reason to not like the publicans back then. They they were thieves. Essentially, they charged. They overcharged. They they took too much from people, more than they ought to have, and they pocketed the excess amount, they kept it for themselves. So they they didn't endear themselves to people who had to part company with their hard-earned money. And one day Jesus comes along and we can see in there, Jesus, he just says to Levi in verse 27, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and he followed Jesus. He then made a banquet in his house and Jesus was the guest of honour. And he had all his chums there, all the other tax collectors and it was a a feast in honour of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were others there as well, scribes and Pharisees, the religious Jews. And they were none too pleased with Jesus and his disciples attending a gathering of publicans and sinners. And they had a thing or two 
to say about it. Let's have a look again at verse 27 in Luke chapter 5. And after these things, he, that's Jesus, went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. Does anyone in here imagine that Levi, the publican, Matthew, just happened to be in the right place at the right time for none other than the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come along to say to him, follow me. And then as a result of that chance meeting, Levi followed Jesus and he was later chosen by Jesus to be one of his apostles. We see that to be the case in the next chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 15. Thomas was, um, sorry, Matthew was one of the men who was appointed to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But did it all happen because of what might be seen as a chance encounter there? Jesus coming along and Matthew sitting there at his tax office. Or going back to the beginning of chapter 5, did Simon's fishing boat just happen to be moored at the right place at the right time when Jesus used it as a pulpit from which he taught a multitude of people who had gathered on the seashore? And did it just so happen that one thing led to another until finally Jesus said to Simon, In verse 10 of chapter 5, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Resulting in Simon being named Peter, and he too became an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all of these things, just chance meetings, being in the right place at the right time. Well, I for one, and I'm, I'm guessing there are many others in here, who would say they were not chance meetings. Rather, they were divine encounters. And the fact of the matter is that God calls people with an effectual and an irresistible call. What do I mean by that? I'm here now, and through me, God is putting out a general call to everyone in here. Anyone who will hear the gospel message is receiving a call from God to repent of their sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. But I know, from what I read in the Bible, and I know from my own experience, that I would never forsake my sin and make a decision to follow Jesus. It takes an effectual and irresistible, a holy call from God. God, who as well as putting out a general call to everyone to repent, God calls his elect, people whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. He calls them with that irresistible call and he makes them willing on that day when he draws them with loving kindness to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, that's something that I can speak of from experience. And I trust other Christians in here can do the same thing. And they would readily admit that if it were not for the grace of God, God calling them with an irresistible call, and Jesus saying, follow me irresistibly, they would never, ever become Christians. And it's not just me speaking from experience either. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to rely on my experience. Who am I after all? The Bible tells us very clearly that God chooses people and he predestinates them before the foundation of the world. And people come into this world dead. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? How can you come into this world dead, spiritually, dead in trespasses and sins? And we see that to be the case in the world that we're living in. It is a world full of people who exist, but they're not really living They're not living for God, except for those whom God has irresistibly called. People who have been saved by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear the voice of Jesus and they follow him. But that is all by the grace of God. It really is. I've seen people who are beggars or people with just a modest amount of money becoming Christians and following Jesus. I've seen many in India. When I lived in India for five years, people who had next to nothing in this world but treasures in heaven following the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, having received him as their saviour from sin. But... It has to be said that not too many people with riches follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too many people with money follow Jesus because their wealth is a huge stumbling block. For example, there was a rich young ruler in the Bible, a rich young ruler who imagined himself to have kept all of God's commands. And he proudly told Jesus that he'd never done this, he'd never done that. And he he told Jesus that he'd kept all the commandments from his youth. Who was he trying to kid? Maybe he actually believed that. Maybe he was deceived so much by his own heart that he actually believed what he was saying to Jesus. But Jesus, he sees into our hearts, he knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And the Lord Jesus Christ addressed that rich young ruler who claimed that he kept all of God's commandments. Jesus said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
What do you think that rich young ruler did? We're told in Matthew chapter 19 verse 22 that he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He couldn't do it. He couldn't bear to part with his money to follow Jesus. In his parable about four different types of soil, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about people who are deceived by riches. When it comes to such people receiving the word of God into their hearts, Jesus described what happens in terms of soil receiving seed among thorns. As thorns choke the seed, so too do the deceitfulness of riches choke the word of God. Even so, by the grace of God, some people with riches are called with that effectual and irresistible call to follow Jesus, such as Levi in our passage today. Levi was a publican, a tax collector, when Jesus said to him, follow me. And he was duly appointed to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've already said, publicans were hated for good reason. They accumulated their riches by taking above and beyond what they were entitled to take in tax and they kept the extra money for themselves. It's not for nothing that in Luke chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, when publicans came to John the Baptist to be baptised, they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. In other words, John the Baptist was telling those publicans to stop stealing from people. And then we've got Zacchaeus. We looked at Zacchaeus in the first reading. He was a publican. There was a big crowd that had gathered to see Jesus who was coming. Zacchaeus couldn't see a thing. He was too short. So he climbed up into a tree where he would have a good view of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, 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 I never can imagine him being alone. You think about it, there would have been little children up in the trees as well and perhaps one or two others who um, who would go, climb up a tree to get a better view of Jesus. But anyway, Zacchaeus was up the tree, Jesus came along and Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down. Can you see there that Jesus, he called, he called Zacchaeus by name and it wasn't just Zacchaeus being in the right place at the right time. Jesus looked up, he saw Zacchaeus, called him by name. Zacchaeus came down from the tree to Jesus. And this is an interesting thing, what Zacchaeus the publican said to Jesus. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. That was the restitution that Zacchaeus was prepared to make. And I don't suppose Zacchaeus would have said that unless he really had taken or exacted more tax from people than he ought to have. 
Let's have a look at verse 28 and 29 in Luke chapter 5. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Back in verse 10, Simon, James and his brother John, all people people who all became apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were fishermen at the time. And they forsook all. They forsook their fishing boats, their fishing business to follow Jesus. And now we see Levi leaving all and following Jesus, just like those three fishermen earlier on in the chapter. We need not imagine, I'm not saying this wasn't the case, but we need not imagine that those fishermen literally abandoned their ships, they literally abandoned the multitude of fishes that they just caught when Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side and they brought in a great catch of fish. We don't need to imagine that those fish were just left to rot in those nets. Neither need we imagine that Levi, the tax collector, walked out of his place of work, abandoning it all, abandoning the money that he'd gathered in taxes. The fishing boats were probably left in the safe hands of other people, such as Zebedee, the father of James and John, and also the hired hands. As for Levi, he was quite likely not on his own, probably one of a number of publicans, tax collectors, working at the tax collector's office. That said, all those men would have been of the same mind as Moses, who 1,500 years earlier abandoned his privileged life as a prince of Egypt because, quoting Hebrews chapter 11, He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses, 1500 years earlier, he forsook everything. The privileged lifestyle, life that he had in the royal palace in Egypt, he forsook it all to follow Jesus. And he suffered the reproach of his saviour who would come into the world 1500 years later to lay down his life, bearing away the sins of Moses. And we're told in Matthew's Gospel that we are to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, where thieves break in and steal, where rust and moths corrupt our treasures, Store up treasures in heaven with the greatest treasure of all being the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater treasure than Jesus. He is altogether lovely. He is to be desired more than gold. Yea, more than fine gold. To have Jesus is to have everything. If you don't have Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've got in this world. And by the way, I'm not knocking earthly riches. 
But if you do not have Jesus, you have nothing. Nothing at all. Sticking with Levi, think about it. He left all. That is, he left a very profitable career, albeit a crooked career. One, uh, and he rose up to follow a man who had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus. He owned, Jesus owned precious little in this world. Even though he is the king of glory, Jesus made himself poor when he came into this dark world of sin. And Levi left all to follow Jesus. There's a striking contrast between Levi who left all when Jesus said to him, follow me, and the rich young ruler who went away sorrowful when Jesus said to him, sell all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me. And that man went away sorrowful because he had great riches. Having left all and followed the Lord Jesus Christ, Levi made a great feast in his own house, which was attended by a great company of his previous work colleagues, his previous partners in crime, publicans and sinners. The guest of honour at that banquet was Jesus. Therefore, far from feeling sorry for himself because of what may have been seen to be such a, a great sacrifice on his part, because Levi left everything to follow Jesus, he most certainly wasn't feeling sorry for himself, was he? He wasn't feeling sorry about leaving his lucrative business and looking ahead to living frugally in the days to come. He was celebrating and he most certainly didn't hide his light under a bushel Think about who he had in his house. Who was the guest of honour? The Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not a challenge to us? How often is Jesus the guest of honour in our house? What an opportunity that was. All of those publicans there and sinners, as the Pharisees and scribes pointed out, who is Who's Jesus? Who are you, disciples, that you eat with publicans and sinners? But those publicans and sinners, they were in the same house as Jesus. They were exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and perhaps they came to know the truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Perhaps they came, or some of them at least, came to know him. And that truth that they came to know set them free from their sin, from Satan, from death. How wonderful it must have been to be in that house where Jesus was, with all of those crooked publicans and sinners. What an opportunity it must have been 
for, for Levi to introduce his friends to Jesus. This is the man that came and said, follow me, listen to him. And they probably would have wondered, Levi, our friend Levi, he has left everything. He's left all that lovely money to follow Jesus. Maybe there's something in all of this after all. I don't know. Let's move on. Verse 30. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? It's not an exaggeration to say that the scribes and the Pharisees, they stalked the Lord Jesus Christ. They were just looking for opportunities to accuse him of something, anything. Such was their hatred for him. A reason for that hatred and rejection of Jesus and his gospel is because the scribes and the Pharisees scrupulously sought to establish a righteousness of their own before God. So many people like that today. So many people will come, will trot out those words, if there's a God, well, I think he'll accept me into heaven. I'm not as bad as those paedophiles and rapists and murderers and all the rest of them. I'm not a bad person. I even feed the neighbour's cat when she's on holiday. How about that? That's how good I am. But people, they think that way. Maybe someone in here thinks that way. <coughs> that, that God will welcome into heaven. On a red carpet, no less. Forget it. It doesn't work that way at all. These scribes, these Pharisees, they sought to establish their own righteousness before God. And the trouble is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Those men even bound themselves to their own traditions. It wasn't enough that they tried and failed to keep God's laws. They even added to it all the burden of tradition, man-made tradition. On one occasion, the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, why do the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, and of the Pharisees, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? They were clearly seeking to expose Jesus as a really bad rabbi whose disciples were completely out of control. The thing is that the twice a week fasting that those self-righteous Pharisees and scribes imposed upon themselves and upon their own disciples was not even a requirement of God's law. That's something that they'd invented. It was the tradition of men that they had yoked themselves and their disciples to. And this world is full of people, if they can be bothered at all, if they actually think that there is a God, and if they are seeking to go to um, heaven rather than hell, they're walking around with a heavy load on their backs, a heavy load that comes from endeavouring and failing 
to keep God's laws and to keep to various traditions to boot. And it's all pointless, utterly futile. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 30, the objection of the scribes and Pharisees was that the disciples of Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. That was the crime, eating with publicans and sinners. We needn't imagine that they raised their objections inside the house. It's very doubtful that the scribes and Pharisees would have set foot inside Levi's house with all those nasty publicans and sinners there. They most likely kept watch from outside and pounced on the disciples with their accusations as soon as the disciples departed with Jesus. Also, according to Matthew's Gospel, not only did they ask the disciples why they ate with publicans and sinners, they asked the disciples why Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners. And that's what it was ultimately all about, wasn't it? As I've said earlier, they were seeking to accuse Jesus of something. Why was Jesus eating with publicans and sinners? They saw that as a big no-no. But it would seem that they were too cowardly to approach Jesus directly. They did it through his disciples cowardly snakes in the grass. Last of all, Jesus responds to his religious accusers in verse 31, 32. Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus did not deny the accusation. Why does Jesus eat with publicans and sinners? And far from denying that that's what he did, Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees an undeniable truth that the sick and not the healthy have need of a physician, a medical doctor. Similarly, Jesus, who is the heavenly physician, came into the world not to solve not to save the righteous, but to save sinners. That is the good news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As John Calvin said, Jesus came to quicken, that means to give life to, the dead. To justify the guilty and condemned to wash those who were polluted and full of uncleanness, to rescue the lost from hell, to clothe with his glory those who were covered with shame, to renew to a blessed immortality those who were debased by disgusting vices. I just want to butt in here and stop John Calvin for a moment to remind you that John Calvin is talking about people like us debased by disgusting vices, certainly talking about me anyway. If we consider that this was his office and the end of his coming, if we remember that this was the reason why he took upon him our flesh, why he shed his blood, why he offered the sacrifice of his death, 
we will never think it strange that he should gather to salvation those who have been the worst of men and who have been covered with a mass of crimes. When Jesus was in Simon's fishing boat, Simon, who became the Apostle Peter, Peter rightly acknowledged that he was a sinner when he said to Jesus in chapter 5 and verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And this morning we've been considering Levi being called to follow Jesus, when at the time he was a much-hated publican. He became the Apostle Matthew, and he went on to write his own Gospel account. We have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's Levi the publican who became the Apostle Matthew, who wrote Matthew's Gospel. That tells you something about the grace of God, doesn't it? And again, it wasn't a chance meeting. Matthew didn't just happen to be on duty at the tax office when Jesus came along. It was all in God's perfect plan. In Matthew chapter 18... The Lord Jesus Christ was not at all complimentary about publicans, even though he called Levi the publican, called him, and and let's, let's be very clear about this, he called him effectually, irresistibly, Levi was saved from his sins as a repentant sinner, and he became an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean to say Jesus was complimentary about publicans, Far from it. Speaking to his disciples on the subject of church discipline, he said to them, and if he, that is the person who is under church discipline, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. Wow. By saying that to his disciples, that a person who sins against another person and who will not repent of whatever it is he's done, he is to be expelled from the church and considered as a Gentile or a publican. Jesus was regarding not just Gentiles, but also publicans as those for who, for, for the most part, were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. It was not a flattering thing that Jesus said about publicans there. People who refused to repent of their sins in the church, expel them, consider them as publicans. So we see the grace of God towards Levi, don't we? It goes to show when you consider Levi the publican, who was saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that no one, no one is such a terrible sinner that he is beyond the reach of God's mercy and his grace. That includes people like you and it most certainly includes me. We are not beyond God's grace and mercy. No matter how great your sin is, the grace of God is greater. 
Someone else who forsook all and followed Jesus was the Apostle Paul. We all know about the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the uh, rather the New Testament. He used to be a self-righteous Pharisee, just like the ones we've been considering today. And just like anyone in the world now who has laid upon himself the heavy burden and the impossible task of establishing his own righteousness before God. Maybe there's a Pharisee or two in here today seeking to establish your own righteousness before God. However, in his epistle to the Romans, Paul, the apostle, who was once a Pharisee, a self-righteous Pharisee, he said, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What's the purpose of the law? You read the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're guilty of adultery. You've got an adulterous heart. Even if you haven't fleshed that sin out, you've got an adulterous heart. There's no one in this place who is not covetous, by the way, that hidden sin. Longing to to possess things that belong to others. And the law, it convicts us of our sin. It's utter folly to read the law and think, well, I'm going to keep that. It doesn't work that way. The sin convicts people of their sin. So by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The prophets, they all spoke of Jesus. The prophets were a big signpost pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The law, every time you break the law, that should send you into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the law and the prophets, they speak of a righteousness which is apart from the law. And that righteousness is the righteousness of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finish, where do you stand, each one of you here? Do you stand with the scribes and the Pharisees full of your own self-worth? Because we are encouraged, aren't we, to think way too highly of ourselves than we than is good for us. By the motivational speakers, they're very good at giving you that feel-good factor about yourself. So are you like the scribes and the Pharisees, full of your own self-worth and self-righteousness, or do you stand before God acknowledging your sin, but accepted in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose garments of salvation and robe of righteousness 
you are adorned, you are clothed, having been washed in his precious blood. Jesus, elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, he spoke about a Pharisee and a publican in the temple. The Pharisee stood proud, praying thus unto himself, so you begin to wonder, hang on, was he actually praying to God or was he speaking to himself? Praying thus unto himself, Lord, I'm not, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I'm, you know, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't murdered anyone, I'm not like that publican over there. And what did the publican do? He couldn't even look up to heaven. He just smote his breast, he just beat his chest as he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Again, where do you stand with the proud Pharisee who was blinded by sin? Or the publican, whether it's the one who stood in the temple beating his chest, or anyone who is saved by the grace of God. Christians in here today, who at some time or other in their life have acknowledged their sin before God. Acknowledge that in them, that is in the flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And they've received Jesus as their saviour from sin. And their acceptance before a holy and sin-hating God is and always will be in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who actually did ever keep God's law perfectly and who paid the price for sin on the cross for all who would trust in him. And I don't wish to be flippant here, but Jesus was not having an easy time of it on the cross. It was a terrible death. He sweat great drops of blood the night before. And at the cross, he bare in his own body the sin of all who would ever trust in him. His father laid upon him the depravity of all who would ever trust in Jesus. Does that include you? It most certainly included Levi, the much-hated publican or tax collector. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him by the grace of God. Amen.